14. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here. And keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Michael. Well, the ending before Jesus being arrested, and even though you might have heard it many times growing up in church, I wondered if you even ever thought, what a bizarre thing this is. Here it is Jesus in his last moment with his disciples, and don't forget that each one of them were handpicked by him, um, and being trained over the last few years, they listen to every of his word, follow him every footstep, and now Jesus has one last chance to give them a stirring speech before he goes away. You would think that Jesus might give them a last miraculous teaching or choosing his words to encourage them to perhaps to continue the ministry uh, without him. But check this out. What's he say? What is this rousing punchline at the beginning of verse 27? Look down with me. You will all fall away. 
or just imagine with me for a moment, you're in a courtroom and you are sat in there as a defendant on trial. The hearing has just begun, but unfortunately, you don't have a lawyer representing you. But even if you had one, you didn't need one because the first thing that the judge does is to stand up and mix his verdict. You guilty. Guilty is the verdict. But you'd be right to explain to, to the judge what you haven't heard the evidences or you haven't heard my plea. But the verdict has been made. You are guilty because you will break the law. Maybe not now, but in the future, sometime you will break the law. Well, I know this is um, ludicrous. And thankfully, this doesn't happen in our courtroom today, being charged something found guilty in, for something that you commit in the future. Sounds more like a sci-fi movie, doesn't it? A fiction than reality. But Jesus' verdict here about the disciples is from a God who is all-knowing, a God who has revealed to us through the Old Testament scripture, through the prophet Zechariah in the second half of verse 27 there. It says, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. They're guilty. Jesus knew from scripture something about the disciples' reaction in the run-up of his death. But more so, he knows their hearts. Jesus knows the disciples' hearts. They are fickle. They will all flee away. And you, you, you might have some sympathy for Peter here, the kind of reaction um, he's been so loyal to Jesus, hasn't he? Even becoming one of his favorite disciples. Um, you see, Peter's reacted in verse 29. No, Jesus, that's not possible. Verse 29, even if all fall away, I, I, I will not. Well, I, I'm so sure that my love for you, Jesus, and no falling away, that's not possible. Well, very well then, Jesus says, uh, let me tell you in verse 30, Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Well, that is the proof. That will be the proof. Well, you want a concrete evidence in you, Peter. There it is. What's Peter's reaction? No, Jesus, no, you, you silly man, you, you don't understand. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. You hear Peter's inner voice there? He's saying, I, I'm so confident about myself. I know I love you, Jesus. I can do it. I, I. You hear his voice coming through? Well, the problem about Peter is in his self-dependency. In his self-dependency. He has placed his confidence in his own fickle heart. And you see, friends, Jesus wants to teach Peter a lesson here when years later, when Peter looks back on what happened on Jesus' final days of his ministry, when he instructs Mark to write up this very gospel, Peter would have realized that this event was the most important lesson that he's ever had with his mentor. This is the one that would have shaped him for the rest of his life, if there's one lesson that he, he, he will never forget, it will be this one here in Gethsemane. Well, Peter's 
self-confident on himself, being able to believe in Jesus. Well, don't get me wrong, believing in Jesus is a great thing, and if you're here tonight wanting to find out more about uh, what it means to believe in Jesus, I'd love to encourage you to come, keep going and find out more. But believing in Jesus without own effort will be disastrous because you will fail. The human heart is fickle. It's unreliable. If we need to be sure that we can trust in Jesus, we need to place our trust in something more certain than our own very ability. Well, Jesus' lesson here for Peter might be the same lesson for us today. Jesus wants us to see the conditions of our own heart. It is fickle. It's prone to failure. Don't place our trust there. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, um, I was been, always been, I've always been taught to become more and more self-dependent. And that seems to be quite inherent in some of the thinkings uh, among us as a society. Or maybe, and I'm always guilty of this, and my wife reminds me that I'm always guilty of, um, of, of not doing what I preach. So here it is. This is probably what will happen for myself. When I leave the church building this evening, it will be so easy for me to turn back to my own natural self-dependent way of living or depending on my own strength to provide for my family I will probably depend on my own effort to plan my work for the next week well to let things get done and I'll even depend on my own ability to be able to come back to church on Sunday if I have set my alarm clock and if I did remember last week to move my clock a week uh, an hour early I would have been here on time or just, just make sure I go, bed, go to bed early. Or wherever it might be, it's about I doing this, I doing this, I doing this. And even you remember that story that Jesus told when the Pharisee prayed at the temple. He prayed to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, dentists, or even like that tax collector. Tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And... I even come to Christchurch all four services on a Sunday. You see, friends, our heart condition is so corrupt that it's so possible for us to fail to see the problem of self-dependency. And even if we do see the problem, we want to sort it out with our own strength, don't we? It's just a vicious cycle. We fail to rely on God and to be dependent on him. And Jesus wants to break this cycle for Peter, this cycle of I, I, I. Well, the question is whether will you and I recognize it? And will you accept help? Or are we trying to help ourselves? Will you come to church because you know you're a sinner and you want to come and pray for forgiveness, recognizing that we need Christ more and more in our life? because we're just so poor in trusting him. And so if the root problem that, Peter, uh, that Jesus is addressing is self-dependency from this passage, then what's the antidote? How can we look towards Jesus for right response? Well, look down onto verse 32 with me. 
They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit there while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. We're going a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Well, as we come to the run-up to the Easter weekend, I wonder you thought about why today is called Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy comes from the Latin word mandata, meaning commandment. It refers specifically to the commandment that Jesus gives, uh, according to John the Apostle, um, that the new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, the love that Jesus is referring to, as I, Jesus, have loved you, is love that requires him more than just being friends with his disciples. It requires him, me being more friends than us, it requires him to be the sacrifice so that he can rescue sinners from their sin. It's going to require him to become the Passover lamb, the lamb to be slaughtered, to die on the cross. And for him to do that willingly, he must offer himself. Well, Jesus, fully God, yet he came to us in his fully human nature. Well, so he confesses in verse 34. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It is the hardest moments of Jesus' earthly life. We see that he became dependent with prayers. Well, contrasting to Peter, James, and John, three times Jesus found them asleep. Jesus warned them in verse 38, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That's what prayers do. They keep us from falling into temptation. And notice the way that Jesus went on to pray to the Father. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Well, Jesus cried out in distress, I know that it is possible for you, Father, to take this cup, this cup of wrath, this cup filled with the Lord's fury, of his righteous judgment on all people for their sin. Jesus knew the significance of his mission. And so, in the agony that he faces, Jesus had to choose between his own will and the Father's will. And notice at the end of verse 36, only if this is also your will, Father, he shows extreme obedience of the Son to the glory of the Father. Well, that's amazing. That's great news for us, that he was willing to do that so that we could be saved. And if the question for us in how we deal with our sins, our brokenness, 
and even our tendency to be so self-dependent, if our heart is so fickle, Jesus demonstrates to us that antidote, his obedience to the Father that comes through praying. And my aim this evening, friends, is to move our hearts to love Jesus more. And I think there are two words that are so important here as I read over this passage again and again. Two words that are particularly powerful and certainly two words I find to be so encouraged for myself. Abba, Father. Well, Abba, just Aramaic for Father. And when in my own language, it's Cantonese, Abba is actually what we call our Father. It resonates in my mind that that close relationship of being able to call Father Abba. Or is our prayer like the one that is the spirit, not the flesh? Because Paul teaches us that in the passage across the page in Romans 8, the reading tonight, that for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit of the big capital S you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Or being able to cry out to our Father, we might just take it for granted, but it's such a privilege. That intimate relationship of being God's son and daughters because We've been adopted through Christ's achievement on the cross. His Christ's mission make, make our relationship with the Father possible. And we don't have to be using our own strength. We have God's help here, it says. The Holy Spirit works in us, sets our hope on the heavenly things. Like Jesus, it was for the joy that was set before him, wasn't it? That he was able to endure the cross. And friends... Our eyes fix on Jesus. It's our relationship with the Heavenly Father, a close and intimate one, that we will be able to call on him, Abba, Father. And if you're not a Christian or you've been thinking about it for a while and not decided, here's a story for you. Well, there's a, there's a man and a wife who came to service and they were sitting together. Um, she was a believer, but he isn't. And a plate of bread uh, came along to their row, where she took. But he reaches out. Then she says, no, you, you can't. You're not a Christian. Then he says, but I want to be one. He whispered to her. Well, you better be quick. But you see, being a Christian is just accepting that you want help. At the Lord's table, the bread and the wine that we're about to share in a moment... It's not for good people or strong people or sorted out people or nice people. It's for needy people who stand in need for Christ's rescue and are prepared to admit it to themselves and to the Father. It is for people to prepare to take that salvation up. That is on offer. It's there. It's real for us to grab. You can do that. You know, you can place your trust in Jesus. Don't place your trust in yourself. Place your trust in Christ. That's what Easter, remember, his death on the cross. You don't have to imagine it. And I hope this passage in the Bible 
you get the sense that Jesus really wanted you to see your own needs, our own needs, our heart condition, our heart problem of self-dependency. That self-dependency only leads us to the guilty verdict. Peter is in need of God's rescue. And you and I tonight do as well. We are needy people in need of God's rescue. Our brokenness can be mended when we trust on Jesus' work on the cross, that he died for me. Whatever guilt it might be about ourselves, however deeply broken our relationship might be with one another, we can have joy because our brokenness has been made perfect in Christ. There is hope. But life isn't going to be easy. The reality of our faith had never promised us an easy ride. You might come here tonight, have, have certain questions that you want to be answered for. There might be sorrows within us. There might be hardships. But there's great joy. And we need to, be con- to continue to be dependent on the Father through the death of the Christ, the Son. And if you trusted Jesus for a while, maybe this Easter has come at the right moment to remind us that Christian walk is never alone. It might be hard, there might, but there is a powerful prayer because there is a powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Abba, Father, we can call on him. He is with us. And he, that prayer can spur us on in our Christian walk together. Let me pray for us as we close. Abba, Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus um, to pay for our sin and punishment that we so deserve, that you laid on him all that on the cross. And Father, as we cry to you, Abba, Father, help us to see our own need. Help us to see the ways that we might be self-dependent. Help us to cast our doubts, our fear, our anger, our, our worry on you as you walk with us in our faith. We thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.